This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Lee Brack, and today our exclusive celebrity guest is Nina Davaluri, who is not only an acclaimed filmmaker, activist, actor, and entrepreneur, but she is also a former Miss America. In fact, in 2014, she was crowned the first South Asian Miss America ever, beating out 52 contestants for the coveted title and making history, as it were. Her story is fascinating because after realizing the American dream, she had a major epiphany, which culminated in an incredible TED Talk. And her most recent venture combines the network she has cultivated, her love for advocacy, and disrupting global beauty standards by producing an exceptional documentary called Complexion, which was just released on Amazon this past February 2023. Congratulations on that. Wow. As a global leader in redefining beauty standards, she spearheaded a campaign against colorism, hashtag See My Complexion. This led to her being invited by the CEO of L'Oreal, imagine that, to join the L'Oreal Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board, which she currently serves on. Since then, she went to Harvard Business School to study the business of entertainment, media, and sports. Nina fully believes that entertainment and media are the most impactful mediums to create lasting change. To further her mission of dismantling beauty standards, Nina's TED Talk, The Cost of Beauty from a Miss America, went viral. And I just love that TED Talk. It's a brilliant talk all about fighting against toxic beauty standards and the harmful effects social media has had on perpetuating those standards. Being eight years removed from winning Miss America, so she had some perspective, Nina realized that there's a significant cost to beauty that is never discussed. As someone who was deeply entrenched in the beauty industry, she understands the unique voice she has to continue to lead this conversation and increase representation in mainstream media. Nina is no novice to disrupting systems and creating change. She first gained international recognition, as mentioned, by becoming the first Indian American South Asian to become Miss America. Her work in activism became apparent when she was recognized by President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama. She was invited to collaborate with the First Lady on her campaign, Let's Move, Let's Read, and Let Girls Learn. She then went on to help launch Act to Change, an anti-bullying campaign led by the White House Initiative on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Nina was also invited to be a speaker at the Global Entrepreneurship Summit in Kenya and was honored to be the youngest speaker ever on the main stage, sharing her experiences as a trailblazer in the field of diversity. She then embarked on a 14-day tour in India that was sponsored by the U.S. Department of State, promoting education, women's empowerment, and diversity. Nina was incredibly proud to return to her homeland of India, where she had spent every summer as a little girl growing up and focus on key issues between both countries. The tour culminated in an invitation from President Obama to a reception held at the White House. 
She has spoken at 50, 5-0, different universities, including all the Ivy Leagues, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Duke, University of Pennsylvania, Cambridge, and so on. Nina has also taken her platform internationally, speaking in the United Kingdom, the Philippines, Kenya, and India. She has been featured on Anderson Cooper 360, CNN's Out Front with Aaron Burnett, live with Kelly and Michael, Fox and Friends, The View, the CBS Morning Show, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, a nice plug for Canada here, Canada's Breakfast Television and the Morning Show. I know them both well. Most recently, Nina, and this, I don't, this gives me the shivers when I say this because you were featured in the New York Times for the advocacy work that you've done around colorism. Nina is humbled by her experiences and excited to continue her journey in the filmmaking, advocacy, and entertainment arenas in her spare time. Nina enjoys walks in the West Village with her rescue pup, Dobby, and moonlighting as hashtag Sue Chef Nina experimenting, creating, and tasting fusion recipes. Nina Devalori, welcome to Finding a Bliss, and congratulations on your beautiful film, Complexion. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Judy. It's really weird. You're the first person in a very, very long time to read my full length bio. (laughs) And so to have it read out loud is, it's a nice moment to hear, especially because you don't, as you're going through the journey, you take very few moments to reflect. And this was just a really nice reflecting moment. So thank you for that. So happy. It's such incredible work and so well-deserved that it has to be mentioned. At the very beginning, Nina, of your incredible documentary, Complexion, you're at a store in India and you're very emotional because you remember as a little girl standing in that same spot, watching a mother buy her daughter a pack of fair and lovely cream, which lightens the skin. And even you as a young child were always told many times by your own family even that you would be even more beautiful if you had lighter skin. And in fact, when you were only eight years old, you went to a dermatologist for a small eczema situation. He gave you the eczema cream and you said, can we forget about the eczema cream? And instead, could you please give me a pack of lightning cream, a cream that will make my skin lighter? And you were only eight years old. Can you take us back to that time and what made you feel that way when you were a little girl? And then what made you so emotional all those years later when you went back to that same spot in the store and remembered all of it? Yeah, yes. Beautiful question. And I love starting where this all started just as I was unpacking it for myself as well. And so I was born in Syracuse, New York, but my grandparents raised me in India in the small town of Vijaywada. And so the first language that I speak is Telugu, which is a South Indian dialect. And growing up, you know, I came back to America when I was three years old. And every summer, my sister and I would visit India. That's just what we did for our holidays. And I loved going back every summer. And, you know, my mom's sister and my grandparents um, were there. We would learn dance classes there. We would learn music there and also math. (laughs) we (laughs) We were doing all the things and played tennis and I was with my cousin. So it was, you know, such a wonderful plate. It's very positively associated with childhood memories. But at the same time, you know, growing up there and being so connected to the culture, there's a whole element of understanding what beauty is there, especially as you grow older. And what I knew to be beauty was really influenced by the advertisements I was seeing, the movies I was watching, the TV shows I was watching. And Within India, all you see are light-skinned models, actresses, and people 
on billboards. And not only is that one piece of it, it's not only are you inundated by, I would say Fair and Lovely is the hero product in terms of whitening creams. And that's what I grew up hearing a lot. You know, you also hear these comments from your family. You know, it's, I don't even remember the age where I recognized that Fair is beautiful because I think it had just always been around me. Mm. And I'd always heard, don't go out in the sun, you're going to get too dark or, you know, just commenting on your skin color is just very common in our culture too. And so there wasn't necessarily a moment. It was just always there. It was Mm -hmm. very present. And so in that moment of eight-year-old Nina going to a dermatologist, I had also, I come from a fortunate family where my parents and my aunt would not buy me skin lightening creams, (laughs) which I'm so grateful for, but I was begging them. I mean, begging them for these creams. Like I just didn't understand why they wouldn't let me use them. And so when I went to the dermatologist for a patch of eczema that was on my face, I was like, here's my shot. Like, this is it. Like maybe he'll give me something. And I'm so grateful for this dermatologist because in that moment he said, why black is beautiful. And even though he's, which is rare to find that in India in itself, but even when he said that, I remember thinking, no, it's not like, it's not, you know, and I didn't even believe it when he had said that to me. And, you know, I'm grateful he wasn't handing this cream to an eight-year-old girl. And fast forward 20 years later, I was actually able to go back and visit him and thank him for the work that he'd done. Wow. But that oh. said, the number one procedure he is doing is skin whitening or the number one beauty procedure that people are asking him for cosmetically is skin whitening. And so it was a full circle moment to have that conversation. How lovely that you were able to go back though and and see him and make that connection and thank him for not giving you the cream. In in your research, Nina, for the documentary, you discovered that skin whitening creams are projected to reach 11.8 billion by 2026. So this is a multi-billion dollar industry. And you ask the question in your film, what does beauty really cost us? And then in a very dramatic moment, I don't know why this moment really struck me in the film when you say, my name is Nina Davaluri. And in 2014, I won the title of Miss America. Had the idea of being beautiful enough to be Miss America and to be the first South Asian Miss America ever in the history of the pageant been something that you had dreamed for and wished for your entire life? I think the best way I try to have this conversation in terms of starting it to help people understand why this is so important is that it's really not about skin whitening only or colorism only. It's a much larger conversation around beauty standards in general. And the best way to showcase that is that growing up in America, everyone wanted to be tan. People were always tanning. There were, you know, my friends had tanning packages, bronzers, all the things. And the tanning and skin whitening industries are both billion dollar industries Mm -hmm. and their opposite and opposing messaging. And I want to say that again, they're both billion dollar industries, both opposite and both opposing messaging. And so I think we have to ask one who is creating this messaging why do these standards exist and why are we feeding into them? Mm-hmm. And until we ask those questions, we can't have these conversations. And so for me, it was really, it all started with the why. Well, why do we believe this and why aren't we talking about it? And that's been the first step for many of these conversations around beauty. Your sister entered a beauty pageant at 16 
And I think that's when you first, I do my research. Judy, you deep. <laughs> and I think that's when you first became interested in the whole concept. And I, and I have a little bit of a background also on a much smaller scale than Miss America. So I really get this so much. And you entered many and won many, including you became Miss New York. You won. And I'm just wondering, how do you prepare for the Miss America pageant? Like, what did you do? What kind of stress? And I can't even imagine weight, hair, five inch heels, all of it. So much more, <laughs> so much more. What did it prepare? Was this like a daily grind to prepare for this one night? I would, yes. I will always say that, you know, I'd been preparing for Miss America my entire life up until that moment. And as far as pageants and why I entered pageants, I will say that India and Bollywood love pageants. Like there's a lot of Bollywood celebrities who had started in the Miss India, went on to Miss World or Miss Universe. And those are the, the people, you know, Priyanka Chopra, Aishwarya Rai, and that's who I grew up watching. So there was this element of the beauty and glamour of, oh, pageants mean success. Or there was something enticing about that to me. And what I had really loved about Miss America specifically is that they had a talent portion of competition. So a lot of times people get Miss America and Miss USA confused. So disclaimer, I have never met Donald Trump. I've never (laughs) worked with him, seen him. That is very much Miss USA, which is more acting, modeling. And Miss USA goes on to Miss Universe. And now, of course, Miss USA has been sold several times and still in a very different path, I suppose. And Miss America, we're past our 100th year. So we've been the original competition that really a lot of these competitions have evolved from. And outside of just the talent portion, there is, of course, a huge scholarship component of competition as well. And so, you know, that was always nice, but I don't think I really understood the scholarship value (laughs) until I started using it. So when I was 16, I did my first competition and I was a teen. So I went to Miss Michigan teen and then I went on to place first runner up at Miss America teen. So through that experience, I had also earned a little under $30,000 in scholarship money. And so with that scholarship money and the generous help of my parents, I was able to graduate debt free from the University of Michigan when I pursued my undergrad degree. And then the time came, I would say, as far as I was just going to say in sciences, right? Yes. So my under Yes. I was on the good Indian girl path and my degree was in brain behavior and cognitive science. So I was a mix of psychology and neuroscience. And I was at that point planning on going to medical school. And I'd always been interested in psychiatry and psychology. So I think it's in some ways, I have started to use my background in ways that I did not think would apply, especially in terms of just human connection and just how we we are all thinking. And it's been interesting to kind of see how that's evolved. And so, you know, I always kind of knew, well, I'm kind of good at this thing and I've had success in the past. And you know, the dream was always Miss America. And so I was finally old enough to compete and I was in New York at the time. And so I'd started, I secretly entered um, my local pageant, which you have to win a local before you go to the state title and then states go to Miss America. And so I was in Syracuse at the time. So I entered this pageant and then my family found out. And (laughs) I will always say they were supportive, but not necessarily encouraging, mostly because, you know, they were like, you 
you've done pageants, they really haven't gotten you anywhere. You know, if your goal is med school, you're kind of really losing eye on what that is that you want. And this was kind of one of those things where I was like, I have to do this for me. I'm going to regret it if I don't at least try. And so I remember actually, after I placed second runner up to Miss New York, I said, you know what? I did it. I did well. I wanted to be in the top five. I am good at this thing. That's great. (laughs) I got scholarship money out of it. It's time to just really focus. Like I've given it my best shot. And I had actually started applying to medical school at that point. I was studying for the MCAT. I was doing all of the things. And then (laughs) six months after Mallory had won Miss New York was the Miss America pageant, which is what you see on TV. And it's all the glitz and all the glamour. So of course I'm watching it. I'm part of the cult following. And Mallory, who I've also, you know, gotten to know somewhat, she went on to win the title of Miss America representing the state of New York the year before me. And I remember calling, I was, there was just so many emotions. And I think when you in that moment, because I did know that I was kind of close to the spot of Miss New York. And I watched her go on to win Miss America. So I called my mom hysterically. And I also said in that moment, (laughs) you know, mom, I will never win Miss America now. What are the chances that Miss New York will win two years in a row? And she said to me, well, Nina, you haven't even won Miss New York yet. So maybe (laughs) you focus on one thing and then you can think about the other. And when she had said that to me, I was like, there is a part of you that is also curious about what this journey means for me as well. And, you know, my mom's a singer. She's always been encouraging of performing. She always loved when put us in dance. And so really was always into that. So, So I think, you know, she saw this as an avenue for me to pursue that side of maybe not a career, but at least showcase something that I loved to do. Lovely. And so then I said, you know what, like, I'm going to put everything I have into, (laughs) it was my last year being able to qualify. You had to be between the ages of 18 and 24 at the time. And so I just turned 23. It was my last year to compete for Miss New York. And you know how the story ends. I I went, I won Miss New York and then went on to win the title of Miss America, wow. two New Yorks back to back in a row. Wow. And so it's so true. What's meant to be yours will be. Mm-hmm. And so you're there with all these 51 other amazing, incredible, talented young women. And we had no cell phones. Everything was taken away from us. So all we had really was each other to like connect with. And when you put all these amazing people in a room, we're going to connect. And so I walked away with, you know, two of my closest friends from that competition who I was bridesmaids in their wedding. They will be in mine. Like, you know, we still, we still talk. But I remember that morning waking up the day of the pageant and there was just, there was just almost like a calm and I couldn't describe the feeling then, but it was just a feeling where I felt inside me that there's something bigger happening, but I didn't know for sure. So you can imagine like you have this feeling, you know, it's, it feels very spiritual. There's something special about it, which I've never had that feeling in my life before, (laughs) but I didn't know what it was because I was like, well, am I like, I don't know if I'm going to win. Maybe I will win. I don't know what this is, (laughs) but then kind of reflecting on that, I kind of said, you know what, whatever I've done, everything I can and whatever's meant to be will be. And so that was your life changes in the matter of an instant. And as I've continued on the journey of, you know, and I know we'll get to this, but I think what I've realized is that yes, Miss America was a part of the dream. It was never the end dream. And so Mm -hmm. kind of having this behind me was like, well, what's next? You know, this isn't it. And this can't be it. There has to be more than that. And the past 10 years have been 
discovery towards that. And I've tried a number of things, as, as you know, um, and I feel like I'm finally on the right path. There's a beautiful moment in your documentary complexion where you share that clip from your talent portion in Miss America, where you did a Bollywood dance. So all those summers spent in India learning mm-hmm. dance, you know, so interesting how it all comes to fruition, right? And you were in this beautiful, colorful and sparkly garb and you looked like you were sparkling and it really was sensational. It was absolutely beautiful. And it was imbued with passion when you know you're in, you're in the right place. And even though people suggested maybe you should do something more mainstream for your talent, in the end, you wanted to represent who you really were. And I think this was part of you winning that coveted crown. What did it feel like to be dancing with such passion and being who you really were in the pageant that night for all of America and really all of Uh, the world? I've watched it a few times because it was lovely. Yes, thank you. I will always say my talent was my winning moment. That for me was my crowning moment. And the rest was icing on the cake because, I mean, it was just so core to who I was. You know, it was being able to showcase. And I'm actually a classically trained Bharatanatyam Kuchpuri dancer, which is a very classical form of storytelling in Indian dance. And the way I explain it is that in terms of doing a Bollywood dance, it's kind of like asking a classically trained ballet point dancer to do hip hop. <laughs> like it's, it's, oh, very, wow. it's, very, it's, you know, there's, there's similarities, but there's a, right. Exactly. So in some ways I was like, this isn't, you know, my true art form, but this is still a huge part of my culture. And yes. what I, I remember saying, you know, I do hope one day that now that I've done Bollywood, that there can be Bharatanatyam or Kuchpudi on the Miss America stage. And actually last year, we had a young girl who she was actually a teen when I was competing and now um, was competing at Miss America. She was Miss Connecticut and she performed a Barthenachium classical dance at Miss America. And so I was so proud to see that because this is how you move these conversations forward. And this is how change happens is that you has one and then there's a ripple effect. And to now be able to see that has been really beautiful because that was just the most special part of me that I was able to share with America. And I will say being in a live audience and in that hall and also all the other contestants who are cheering you on, they're all watching. And there was just something in the air. There was something about the energy where I felt the entire arena and all of my class just being like, just there with me and and supporting me. And that was a feeling. I mean, I was in tears by the end of it. (laughs) Like I was, I was doing my little spins, like just tearing (laughs) up because I knew that there was something bigger than me happening. And it did. And it was, it was so joyful. Wow. Congratulations on that. I can't get over the image of you in that yellow gown with the diamond crown, the sparkly, beautiful Miss America crown. In that moment, when they say your name, when you actually heard your name and I know you felt calm in the morning, but still like what went through your mind as you were standing there? Like, can you take us back to like, what do you feel when you're crowned Miss America? That's pretty big. We're going to find out all about that crowning moment for Miss America, Nina Davaluri, when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff 
Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. And this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And I'm here with Nina Devaluri, who was about to take us back to that night when they opened the sealed envelope and announced her name as the winner of Miss America 2014. Nina, can you tell us what happened? Yeah. Well, the first thing is that the night goes by so quickly because it is live television. So literally in terms of commercial breaks, we're going from like swimsuit 30 seconds, I mean 30 seconds, change into evening gown and then your question. And then for my talent, I remember I had four hostesses who help us get dressed and undressed backstage (laughs) to move this quickly. I had four people, like they were laid out my outfit. We had practiced this, we'd rehearsed this. But during like earlier in the day, it was like, if you make it, this is what we're going to have to do. (laughs) And so there's this weird preparation that you're just so in that you're like, I just have to get to the next thing. You don't have time to think. And so I do think that that's helpful because you're not in your head. You're just at that point, you're on autopilot and just have (laughs) to trust your body and instincts that it's going to do the right thing. But in that final moment, I remember I was holding hands with Crystal Lee, who was Miss California and Mm -hmm. her family, her parents are Chinese and she's Chinese. Chinese American. And obviously we had gotten to know each other before this. And as I was holding hands with her, it dawned on me and I went in with the intention of wanting to be the first, you know, South Asian to win the title. But as Crystal and I were holding hands, it dawned on me. Then I was like, Crystal, we're both going to make history. Like there hasn't (laughs) been a Chinese American and both of us are here standing together. And so no matter who wins, like the goal that I came with was achieved and in maybe a way that I didn't think it would be right. But at that point, it was there. And so when the host came over, Lara Spencer, and said, what's going on? I was I just like blurted it out. I was like, it's here. It's happening. And (laughs) we're we're both so proud to be here. But then like, of course, you're still like hoping that it's your name. And like I said, I had the feeling and I was like, I think it's gonna be me. (laughs) And um, when I heard my name called, I was kind of ready for it. But your name, it's still there's a your kind of mind goes blank because there's still a moment of disbelief of like, is this happening? Is it really happening? Like, should it feel this way? Like, where's my mom? Like, (laughs) there's so many running thoughts through your head. And so I just remember trying to remember to enjoy it, like enjoy this moment. You know, it's going to go by quickly. And then honestly, looking for my mom and dad, I remember walking the runway and I think you can see it on TV too. I was just like, mom, like I I was like trying to find her in the audience because I couldn't see her. And so it was... It was also really special to just be back in Atlantic City because um, that's where the pageant had started and it was gone for a while. And so there was there was a, just a different kind of energy in the audience as well. So the full 20-foot runway was back. So I was one of the first to walk it, um, which was wow. really special too. How did your parents react to this? Like I'm just picturing that so intensely, <laughs> them sitting in the audience. It just means so much, right? And it's their little girl is standing on yeah. that stage. and. You know, I think like it was 
it's their expressions are actually caught on TV, which I'm so happy because that moment is documented to see their faces. Wow. And I just remember seeing like my dad's face just like giddy with joy um, and excitement. And my dad was actually very involved in, in terms of at least evening gowns. Like my dad, you know, obviously this pageants aren't his first rodeo between my growing up and <laughs> he's a doctor. He's so a doctor. He, yeah. Like so he was he was always like into it and loved kind of the fashion side of it and dresses specifically. So even when I was choosing my Miss America gown, there was a moment where I was deciding between another dress. It was a white dress and a yellow dress that I had that I ended up choosing. But there was a moment where I was like really torn. And I there's a whole sponsor thing that happens throughout this too. And I remember my dad just like, I was like, what do I do? And my whole family's there. And my dad was just like, nope, nope. It's, it's the yellow one, no discussion, no discussion. And so he was very opinionated on that. And also the reason why I ended up choosing the yellow dress truly, not only did I feel the best in it and I designed it myself, wow. and it was actually an inspiration from a dress that Taylor Swift had worn, but I just loved the simple clean oh. lines. And I chose it because my favorite Disney princess as a child was Belle. I loved Belle from Beauty and the Beast. I dressed up as Belle for Halloween for like three Halloweens in a row until I outgrew that costume that we had. And I was obsessed with that ball gown. And so this was my big girl version of that. And I was like, this is also like a piece of my inner child that I'm sharing too. And so everything within the Miss America experience was meaningful in so many ways that I didn't think of necessarily at the time or make the connection at the time. Wow. It's just so incredible. I love that you celebrated, not played down your Indian heritage with the hope of sending a message out to other young minority women and saying, and I think you, you wrote these words, I came into this organization wanting to change the face of who Miss America was. It was so timely for this organization to finally reach out to a new demographic of young women that is representative of America today. And I hope this encourages other young women to embrace their ethnicities and cultural heritage. So I just, I just love that. So here you are flying. I don't know how you celebrated, but I'm sure it was something very fun <laughs> with your family. And now you go to bed, probably feeling like Belle in, in, in the yellow gown. You probably didn't want to take off the gown. You're floating on a cloud. I also wanted you to say before we get to this, that I also love that Vanessa Williams won mm. 30 years before you, Miss yes. New York and Miss America. And it was 30 days to the night that you were crowned. I love that. It was, it That's was, so that cool. was really special. And I, and I actually got to meet her uh, the week after I'd won, she was doing a trip <sighs> to Bountiful on Broadway. So I was able to see her show and then meet with her after. And she was oh my so lovely. And my takeaway from meeting with her and having being able to have some one-on-one time with her was seeing everything she's accomplished since Miss America and to, you know, meeting her in a Broadway theater, it was like, wow, like this is the beginning. And it's not to say that there is not hard work along the way, because there will always be hard work along the way, but this isn't it. And there's so much more beyond this year, beyond this title. Wow. The next day after you won, it all came crashing down. The front page (laughs) headlines in the Times of India newspaper read, is Miss America too dark to be Miss India? And then your Twitter account exploded with similar comments. And your win was somewhat, even though you didn't let it affect you, marred with an online barrage of racist tweets and social comments, questioning your American identity and correctly calling you Arab, Muslim. At only 24 years old, it's been written that you met the challenge 
wearing the crown with grace and aplomb and rising above the fray and focusing on your year ahead. And I can't imagine what that must have been like for you to win this pageant, to be on a cloud, to be on top of the world. It almost felt like Cinderella after the ball, (laughs) you know? And I wonder how you were able to exhibit such grace under pressure. And what were you thinking the next day when all of this unfolded? Yeah. Well, I will share the night. I, the night you win is also a whirlwind. The moment after you see the hysterical crowding moment and everyone comes rushing to hug you, you're escorted away by security and you're taken immediately to a press conference. So I had probably 10 minutes to like gather myself and with the new team from Miss America. And they send you right out to like press and media. So I had no idea that this was really even happening. And I think what was beautiful about it is that I was also quite well, I don't know if beautiful is the right word, but I was very prepared for it. You know, I wasn't surprised by this reaction and I knew should I win, it would probably happen. But I've always said you can't fight fire with fire. And it was moments like that where I said, this is why this is important because we're able to have this conversation and we're able to talk about these hard things with race and religion and xenophobia and Islamophobia. And that was really why I had entered this program in the first place. You know, it was really about my platform platform. And so I didn't just wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to be the poster child for diversity. Now I had created programs in schools along the way for the past 10 years. And I had been working with programs and so much of, you know, I'd created campaign circles of unity. And so much of my thing was about how do we bring everyone together from unique cultures and backgrounds and be able to share it openly with each other and not fear sharing that openly. And so to be able to say, you know, this is who I am and I and I want to share that with America and I and I want to be able to help others understand that they can be themselves and share themselves too in a safe way. Right. And so that was what I think what I hope was came from out of it in the past year to follow. What was so great was that you now had a platform and you used it for good. Like I think a lot of people win Miss America and they just, you know, go off and I don't know, I don't know what they do, but <laughs> but you actually have done some incredible things. In addition to helping women challenge beauty standards, Nina, you're also an active voice for a healthy lifestyle inspired by your own lifetime battle with obesity. And you've spoken publicly about losing 53 pounds, your struggle with bulimia, your belief that you don't need to be a certain size to be healthy. And in fact, in your TED Talk, which I loved, and we're going to get to that in a minute as well, you said that while you didn't put on the freshman 15 in first year, you did put on the sophomore 60 in second year. Can you tell us about your struggle with weight which I, by the way, understand so well. I'm not saying this from a pedestal. I was doing a juice cleanse last night. So I really get it. Oh, <laughs> you get it. I think one of the first things is that, especially in South Asian culture, your body does get commented on quite a bit and everything that is wrong with your body is pointed out to you. I feel like you get off a 16-hour plane and they're like, wow, you you look tired. It's like, obviously I look tired or <laughs> you've gained weight or you haven't gained weight or you know, there's always something to be said. Yes. So I had grown up like in a culture that was that. So I was very aware of my body and everything that was wrong with it. So I think in terms of struggling with, I was obese as a child and had a very 
difficult relationship with food in general. And then I think as I grew up and watching media and images, it was pretty clear that if I wanted to be beautiful, that I had to be skinny. There was really no other message, especially when I was growing up. I feel like the body movement probably started maybe when I was around in high school, or at least that's when I had started hearing more about it. And so it was just kind of what I saw. And I feel like the way to you know, to that path was just in in many unhealthy ways. And I think when you're also surrounding yourself in a community like pageants, you know, you hear there's, you see young other young girls doing it. There's many of us going to extremes or unhealthy ways to achieve the ideal body. And Mm -hmm. I think I covered it up for so long. And at the time, I, of course, I want to be healthy and I still continue to want to be healthy. But I think what I have a real problem with is that if we're going to say that the swimsuit competition is about health and lifestyle. You cannot judge a person's health and lifestyle by their physical body. Like there's so much more that goes into that. And it was just such a hypocritical message to be sending. And so, you know, I was actually proud and supported when the Miss America organization got rid of the swimsuit competition, which I still completely agree is the right move. But at the time when I was competing, it was very much, it was a thought in my mind where I was like, I know I'm smart enough to win Miss America and I know that I would do a really good job at it. And yeah, while that's all great, if I do not have this 15% of looking good in a swimsuit, I really don't stand a chance. And that was very much the reality I was faced with. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I am proud of the weight loss journey and my own journey in, in a different way. But I think there was more negative that came out of the swimsuit competition than yes. there, there was positive. So I want to fast forward to 2022. So this is eight years after you were crowned Miss America. And you do this TED Talk that went viral. And, and this is before your film came out, which just we're going to talk about in a minute. Complexion, which just came out in February of 2023. It's unbelievable. And this TED Talk, I was so struck by the opening of your TED Talk, which you did without any extensions, any hair straightening, very little makeup, curly hair, natural, no five-inch stilettos, and that TED Talk was killer. Oh, thank you. Really, I was blown away, and I thought that takes a lot of bravery, and I know because I'm on camera all the time, and I've got all the things that you got rid of for that talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you felt vulnerable without all the accoutrements that so many women are told that we need as we are bombarded with these images in the media. And yet you've got this brain, like you're so smart, you're so highly intelligent and beautiful. You don't even need, you don't need the extensions and the heels. But was (laughs) it scary to stand on that stage after eight years before wearing that yellow gown with full regalia? To find out what happened in that powerful TED Talk, join us right after this short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. 
Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Hi, we're back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. I'm here with former Miss America, Nina DeValuri, and we're talking about the TED Talk she gave last year that went viral. Nina, was it scary for you to be on that stage with none of your regular beauty accoutrements? A hundred percent. It was scary. (laughs) Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. So much of Nina was tied to this image of Miss America. And I was so ready to be done with that image of who Nina was. But there are several parts as far as, you know, my body image and everything that came with that year that aren't authentic to me anymore. And I was ready to separate that. And I was ready to show the world. I felt like I had worked on myself and I was strong enough to be able to speak my truth. Um, And everyone comes to that in their own time. And so I I almost appreciate you not asking why now, (laughs) because, you know, everyone has to just come to it. And so... I was to answer your question, I was going to say, I remember when I was writing the talk and when I was asked to do it, I knew it was going to be on this topic just because of my own journey since 2020 and beyond. But I remember one of the first people I asked and said this out loud to was, you know, I'd said, I think I have to do this talk without, without makeup and with my hair curly. And Hmm. this person said, are you sure? Like, really? Like this talk? Like, this is such a big moment. You know, you've waited for this for so long. Is this the time you want to do it? And I remember as soon as they said that, I was like, now I have to do it because (laughs) there's this feeling inside me that knows that it has to be now or never. And so, you know, the day of I was, it was again, one of those moments where I was like, no, I'm ready. And I just get to be me. You put, you speak your truth and put it out there and that's all you can do. I think it's very cool. I think it's very, very impressive. I have to say something that we can all work towards more. (laughs) Let's talk about your beautiful film. And I want to just talk to you about the title for a minute, Complexion, because complex is, it's written like complex in caps and E-N, I-O-N is in lowercase letters. So it's sort of a double entendre. Can you tell us more? Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember the day I came up with that. I was meeting with my director, Leah, and we were in New York and she came and we were in this like tiny little hotel room and... She had said, you know, I've always wanted to do a film on India. And I was like, I've always wanted to do a film on skin whitening. If I was ever going to make a documentary, it was going to be this because I didn't set out to be a documentary filmmaker. But when I met her, we were both speaking at a women's conference in Dubai. And I was sharing my journey after winning Miss America, waking up to the headlines that said, is Miss America too dark to be Miss India? And kind of being this person who had been talking about colorism and against colorism for the past six years at this time when I met her. We were sitting there kind of outlining everything that needed to be done to even get a film off the ground, which is my first film ever navigating from beginning to end. And I remember, you know, she said, well, what about the title? And I just remember like, oh, complexion. And then I remember writing it out with the complex and I was like, this is, this is it. So it was actually the very first thing creatively that was planned and everything else came after that. So thank you. I love, I love the title and it's great. Yeah. It's so, so great. And there's so many things about this. There's so many compelling stories in the film from middle school students to recent grads to the children, pardon me, that you interviewed in the orphanage and more. And The common denominator of all of the stories seems to be that being fair is considered beautiful, 
that people who are fair have a better chance in life. That even when it comes to a dowry in marriage, you say that people will ask if you're darker skinned and if you are, they'll ask for more money from the bride's family. Can you speak about colorism and how it's affected you and millions of young girls and women all over the world? And can you help us just briefly unpack colorism? I mean, so much of it is tied. It comes down to our to our self-esteem and our self-worth and our value and the messaging that is consistent throughout the film and consistent from my experience of what I've heard and other people who have shared their stories with me is that if you are not light-skinned, you are not valued. If you are darker, you are not valued and you are not worthy is really the underlying thread within all of it. You know, we can sit here and say it's a beauty standard, but I think ultimately that's really what it comes down to. And ultimately what every single person is fighting for is to be seen, valued and heard. It's how can we just humanize these stories? Mm -hmm. And so that was what we set out to do. Complexion was, yes, I'm taking the person through the journey and there's a certain, there's, there's so much meaning in that for me because it was a part of my own healing process. But really it was, it was about being able to show the world these incredible people mm-hmm. and ask ourselves, why are we doing this to them? Why are we doing this to our own community? There's a heartbreaking moment in the film where a young girl is talking about her best friend who was black, who almost committed suicide. And the friend, the lighter skinned friend is crying in this section, being so brokenhearted for her friend and for all of us. And I don't know, there was something about that moment that was just so incredibly powerful that this other girl almost committed suicide because of her skin color. So what was that like for you to watch that scene? Oh, it was, I mean, being there in real time, it was, I mean, it was hard to hear. It was, it was really painful. And everyone, I think there was, the circle was 10 of us and everyone you could just feel are just wanting, I mean, I, I hugged her immediately after and just wanting to like give her all of the love in the world and, you know, say and, and let her know that she matters and that her voice matters and her feelings matter. And I, I realized this was that moment where I realized, and it hit me that, oh my gosh, no one has had these conversations with them. This is the first time that they are saying these words out loud. And this is the first time they've even had a space to feel safe enough to say these words out loud. And that was one of the driving forces that continued throughout the entire filming process was creating these very intimate spaces because no one's been having these conversations. No one has the language. And so I hope that when people see it, hopefully they will start having these conversations. But I really wanted to leave the audience with a call for action. And I went back and forth so long about what this call for action is. And I think what I really came down to was, I think the best thing we can do is start having these conversations in our home. Because unless we have it at home, it's not going to change anywhere else. Unless those closest to us are opening up the uncomfortable conversations, then change won't happen. That's right. There's such a beautiful poignant moment in the film when this little boy this adorable little boy says, it's going to change. It's changing. It just tugged at my heartstrings. And I'm wondering, did you believe him? Oh my gosh. He is such a fan favorite. Um, (laughs) And I, I, it's, I think why everyone is really connecting with him and what we also desperately are searching for is that it's very matter of fact. He is just, the way he spoke was the world is changing 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, I believe that this won't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just so simply put, so simply stated. But I think why we all love it so much and feel connected to it is because he also believes it. He genuinely believes it. And when you have someone that young and that hopeful and that just like to his, to down to his bones is just stating a fact for himself and the world. That gives me so much hope. Like just so much hope. He's the future, right? He's part of the the Mm -hmm. hope for the future, which is so wonderful that you include that. I also love that you wrote letters to Unilever, Procter and Gamble, L'Oreal and Johnson and Johnson about lightening fair skin products and about how you wanted them to change the name from fair and lovely to something else. Can you tell us what happened? So we started a campaign in 2020 called See My Complexion. And this was really a, you know, as everyone knows, in 2020, the world was undergoing transformative change. And um, with the death of George Floyd, there was an entire conversation and the Black Lives Matter movement was happening. And companies were putting out, every companies, everyone was putting out Black Lives Matter, but you know, in one part of the world, but yet I felt that these companies were also selling skin whitening creams and other messaging in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And so myself and several others, we had hundreds of thousands of signatures between the many petitions that were and campaigns that were going on. But myself and six others had really organized um, to send these letters. And I sent an open letter. And I remember just sitting down and this letter just flowed right out within 10 minutes, I think. It was yes. it was one of the most quickest writing processes I've ever had. And I had tried to make the case that so many people buying these products, buying skin whitening products, don't realize that they're also feeding directly into their own oppression. Mm-hmm. And that's it right. really made me pause to think, that's true of every single beauty product we buy. <laughs> because mm-hmm. when we stop to actually think and ask, why do I need this lipstick? Or why do I need to look this way? I think oftentimes when we really think about it, it's because, oh, well, this is what society says is beautiful and I want to look beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had a huge problem with the entire industry as a whole. And that's kind of where everything the TED Talk came from was born out of and the work that I'm doing now is coming from as well. And I think this is a perfect example of activism meeting actual change because I think, unfortunately, activism gets pushed in like a very left-winged or right-winged box. But yes. there is this middle ground. And from that, um, you know, as you mentioned, I was able to have a conversation with the CEO of L'Oreal and now have a wonderful working relationship with them as a member of their diversity and inclusion advisory board. And so So this is, you know, these are, these are the things that need to be happening. They did stop the use of fair white and light in their campaigning, but ultimately, you know, they're, they said, you know, they're not going to stop producing these products because people want them. And so how do we change the ideology is the bigger question. And Brands do have a part in that. And so I think slowly through messaging and hopefully over our generation, we'll see that shift because I do think we are that generation to actually end these conversations in our home and end colorism and not pass it along to the next generation. You had the wonderful privilege of not only interviewing Gandhi's great-grandson, but Gandhi's granddaughter. Is there something from her specifically that just resonated with you and stuck with you that you'll never forget? So much. But what I really loved what she said is that we need to have the light of our conscience 
And that light of our conscience will move from one place to the other traveling around the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think in my own journey, there are several times I had felt so alone in this conversation. There were hundreds of no's before I got yeses to this film, to distributing this film. And we're still continuing to navigate that process. And I hope it will be in Canada soon. And when I felt alone, I just remember thinking, am I the only one who thinks this? Like, am I the only one waking up? And you have to understand that it takes time. Everyone takes time to to have these moments of reflection and these moments of consciousness. And so I think giving myself grace in that process and recognizing that you have to meet people just where they're at, that's okay. And that's actually the beautiful part of this process. You know, who knows who's listening to this conversation where we may have planted a seed or a thought. And that's really what change is when you're trying to create it. And so that really resonated with me. You've used your platform Nina, to dismantle beauty standards. You've expressed this in your incredible TED Talk and in your beautiful documentary, Complexion. You've spoken at Harvard. You've been featured in the New York Times. That was a pretty cool article to read. I really enjoyed reading that (laughs) with your photo, with that gorgeous photo of you. (laughs) You've been invited to the White House. It seems like there's nothing that you can't achieve. I know you're also doing a master's in musical theater at NYU. What made you want to continue your education by doing your master's in musical theater? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I have to say I am in school with your daughter, Lily, and I adore Lily so much. You know, she is, she's just been such such a light in this program for not only myself, but for many of us. And oh, as you. someone who's new to the to the musical theater world specifically, she's she always just has such positive energy to be around. Um, So I I love that. But I think for this, as far as pursuing a master's, the first thing is that I knew I had a scholarship remaining from Miss America and I had to finish using my scholarship. (laughs) So there was that piece of like, you know, I know I want to, I had went to theater school. So I'd already did, I finished my one year conservatory at Lee Strasberg in 2018. So I had finished acting school and I continued, but I think there's always been a part of me and <laughs> since like second grade when I sang My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. That was the first song I ever remember like singing. I was in second grade. But I remember like, I just love to sing, but I have never actually trained my voice. And I have a decent voice, I will say, but I just never knew how to use it. And so there were moments where I, you know, obviously I'm fortunate to live in New York and Broadway is so accessible here scene shows. And every single time, I can't describe this well, but I'm trying to find language around it. But every single time I would see a Broadway show, there was, it was almost this feeling inside me. The best way I can describe it is it's almost like a yearning. And maybe that's a calling, I'm not sure, but it was always looking at the people performing with this like deep yearning of, I want to be up there with you. And it, it honestly, it got to a point where it was just hard for me to keep sitting in that audience. I couldn't keep doing it. I was like, I can no longer go to a Broadway show if I'm not actively pursuing singing. And I don't, I don't know if I will be on Broadway. I don't think Broadway is the end all be all, frankly. But I just know that I was like, there's something about singing that is deeply 
resonating with me that I need to be doing this and it's bringing me joy. And so that's when I applied to this program at NYU. So it's interesting you say that though, because I feel like when I've told people that, oh yeah, I'm pursuing my master, like, but it's always like an afterthought. It's never like, it's just never at the forefront of my list of things, I suppose. And I've heard the response so many times of, oh my gosh, you're so brave. Like, you know, you're so brave to be pursuing a new craft or just going back to school. And in my mind, I, I want to say like, why is that brave? Like, shouldn't we all want to be continuing to learn new things and do new things and follow the things that we feel called to follow? And, you know, there is a privilege attached to it, but I was just like, gosh, I hope when I'm 40, I'm discovering new things and 50 and, and so on. Like, you know, every decade should bring something new. Of course. What is bliss for um, Nina Davalori? Oh, what is bliss for Nina Davalori? Never doubting myself is certainly a pocket of bliss. Um, there's always a voice that can tend to creep up of, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? And then just saying, no. I'm enough and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be at this moment in time is where I'm really finding my bliss nowadays of just, of just being present in every single moment, which is getting hard. So we will definitely need some meditation (laughs) tips after this, Um, but it's a, it's an ongoing process. I want to thank you so much, Nina, for being on the show today. You're really a beautiful person inside and out. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. One last question, Nina, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? And mostly, how can people watch this beautiful film, Complexion, your documentary? Yes, I am at Nina Davalori across all social handles. So please feel free to DM me and message me there. And um, you can watch Complexion on Amazon. It is only available in the US for the time being. But as its journey continues to expand, I will certainly let your audience know, let you know as well. And we'll keep the conversation going. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Each week we spotlight a fabulous person like Nina Davaluri, who is living their bliss and making the world a better place. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, mindfulness expert, singer, musician, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. Write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. All you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our wonderful guest, Nina Davaluri, for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, producer Nayira Money, audio engineer Juliana Antiello, Senior Editor Lauren Kaminsky, Video Editor Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, Audio Producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.